Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 587. I do apologise for not having a show last week, uh, but uh, as I was saying in the preamble of the show, if you watch us live, because we live stream generally from around four, uh, half past three, there's usually a bit of preamble beforehand. Uh, I was mentioning in the show that uh, literally there was very little news and everybody was out, out of action and working and stuff, so there was just no, there, there wasn't anything to make a show with, so I do apologise, but that's just the way it goes next week. Uh, and I feel rather embarrassed to say that there will be no show next week, but that's because we're in London uh, for a product launch. So we'll be back with uh, good tidings, I hope, for all of you synth lovers. Mm. I'm not saying anything more. Um, but in its place, I do have uh, an interview that I shot with uh, Imogen Heap, which is about 40 minutes, mm. which I th- hopefully you'll just great. She's a, she's a great one for talking as well. You wouldn't have any trouble filling hours of time with her because she's very, she's, she's just sort of very energetic and full of full of things to say so uh you can st- uh look out for that next week because that will be placed in place of an actual live show because we'll be uh in london and unable to do the show but uh, we should be back the week after so that's all i can say for the moment um but yes welcome this is the podcast to do with um, music technology synthesizers uh industry stuff software controllers um all kinds of things basically so if you're interested in that sort of stuff stay tuned and we'll be talking about that over the next hour or so with uh, my guest gaz williams i'll introduce in a second and also we've got a competition for uh, if you want to win a copy of isotopes neutron 3 which is a fantastic sort of modern mixing tool uh you plug it you put a plug in across all of your tracks or as many as your tracks if you want and it'll kind of it can talk to itself and figure out what frequencies are overlapping stuff really fascinating so that's an advanced version of that which is up for grabs that'll be competition will be about halfway through so anyway i want to say hello to my f- my first i was going to say my first and only guest uh, gaz yes. williams who's there in bristol hello. gaz bass player uh, mm. music technologist uh, amongst many other things how are you gaz you mm. well <laughs> yeah good thank you glad to be here Just, uh, yeah i mean there is a bit of a dearth of news isn't there this time of year typically so um but that doesn't mean that there's not loads to talk about um, there's no dearth of words no dearth of words. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. it is a, I mean, this, there is news, but some of it's kind of quite sort of similar. I mean, it's more general discussion stuff, which is maybe things that we've talked yeah. about before. So, you know, one has to balance these things. We don't want to talk about the same things every week. We try not mm. to anyway, but sometimes <laughs> you just can't help it when there's uh, when that's all there is. So maybe that's <laughs> the best. So what have you been yeah. up to then, Gaz? Uh, just come back from Green Man Festival. I was meant to be playing there, but actually ended up not playing, which was a bit of a weird thing. But that was okay because um, I had a really good time there. Um, and something I noticed at Green uh, so Green Man Festival is one of the big festivals in the on the UK uh, festival circuit. Um, very much along the lines of Six Music, uh, BBC Six Music, the radio station there. So lots of acts that you'd typically find on that uh, station. It's ostensibly a folk centered festival but not not really a folk festival more of a modern folk i don't know i don't quite know how to define it really um but something really occurred to me at this festival and it was following on from a video that i'd seen on youtube um about the death of melody Uh, i can't remember the name of the guy who's posted that video but it's been very popular video which is talking about how melody is really out (laughs) um is kind of out of fashion and you think how can melody be out of fashion and the guy puts forward a very convincing case for it oh gosh i wish i could remember maybe someone the in the chat melody. In inside the score it looks like that's I'm, it I'm, inside the score thank he's you very got much a very interesting poster frame which looks yeah, like a, look. uh, let's have a look see if we can find it 
I'm trying to find the poster frame because it, it looks like a very sort of. Uh, uh, oh, I can't see it for now. A promo code. Looks like we're got. Yeah. Oh, this is honey, an advert for honey, yeah. um, not an advert not for Grammarly, which is, makes a change on yeah. YouTube. Eh? <laughs> uh, let's see if I can find it. So this channel has always focused on film, melody. music, and classical yes. music. That's always been my goal. But to uh, anyway, yeah. So, yes. so you, I haven't watched that. So I'm, I'm at your uh, mercy. You'll have to uh. you'll have to praise it for us. Okay, I mean, uh, you know, he talks about pop music, but he also talks about sort of um, how melody is kind of, you know, how um, soundtracks have moved away from melodies and um, uh, and some classical music as well, some modern contemporary classical music um, focusing on other aspects. Uh, he's talking about sort of um, tone, you know, like tone texture and... Um, Atmosphere and mood. Uh, yeah, Um but also within pop music. And he uses some examples where, you know, the melody is mostly just on a single note with just maybe very, very slight melodic variations of maybe one or two notes. Um, and that kind of hooks don't necessarily need to be melodic. They could have, the hook could be even just like the lyric repeated in, in a single note, uh, you know, just re repeated mm. single notes. Uh, and I thought it was a really interesting, you know, well put together video. I'd recommend watching it. It's good. Uh, but... So I went to Green Man Festival, which, as I was mentioning, is, you know, like a... Uh, I nearly said ostensibly then, but I've been pulled out. <laughs> I didn't want to... Your, 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 your ostensibly count is actually two for the show so I, far, I, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I've um, I've used up all my ostensibly's. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so Green Man, you know, has this... What would be very... Typically very melodic music at the festival, but... Virtually all the acts I saw did not rely on melody at all. Uh, I mean, the examples, um, I saw the band Idols on the Sunday night, which are a Bristol punk band who give an incredibly entertaining, high-energy show uh, with pretty much everything going on other than melody. Uh, then I saw a couple of young bands who were really promising, a band called Squid and another band called um, Black Country New. Uh, Black Country New Road, both really great bands, but kind of like with sort of shouted vocals with no discernible melodies within it at all. And then a um, couple of fantastic um, British, kind of from the British jazz scene, uh, both featuring the saxophone player um, Shabaka uh, Hutchins. Uh, he, um, the Comet is Coming and um, Sons of Kemet, uh, both of which don't really deal in specifically melodies, although there's lots and lots of notes going on. I wonder why that is, though, Gaz. I mean, do you think... Mm. Uh, sorry to butt in, but I, yeah. I, I have a theory about this. I mean, I think partly it's because certainly probably composers in for, for picture are, are, are probably a bit sick of having their soundtracks turned down. You know, so essentially, if you have a melody trying to break through, the dialogue will trumpet or the sound effects might trumpet in most instances. So the opportunities to play a melody would only really be maybe at the beginning and the end, or there might be a, a, a theme point where you have it. But I mean, so that might be one thing. So people will, well, why bother? Because it will just get crushed. And the other thing is um, there are, um, as we know, it's harder to, uh, a lot of music is, is an incidental byproduct to doing something else rather than sitting down and listening to it so maybe those are the sort of those are two factors y yes I'm, I'm sure um but it, it was just interesting though seeing that these different bands were all you know as i say using other 
devices other than actually relying on on melody particularly uh, you know and, and these bands were great you know they, it wasn't they, they were bad in any way although i do kind of get i do kind of leave those gigs with a little bit of an empty feeling that there's not much to take away from in terms of uh songs that you'll partic that particularly stand out um and uh and and i think that melodies are the things that do are the thing that sticks with you, aren't they? Really? Um, well, and they're hard. They're hard things to, to to to. It's a hard thing to do well. Although, I mean, yeah. you've got, you also bear in mind, you know, I mean, with pop music and uh, sort of club music and those things, I mean, you tend to get a melody and it's just repeated and repeated and repeated and not mm. generally and not generally uh, evolves much. But I don't see a problem yeah. with that because some there's some very very catchy stuff, you know. I mean, it's and that's that's part of the the thing that helps it get remembered, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think maybe it is a bit of a taste thing. I do really love a very long melody, though, like a melody that might take, uh, you know, more than 16 bars, maybe 32 bars to tell its whole melody. Um, but upon repeated listens, you know, that melody starts to reveal itself. And um, I really think that the true value in music, though, does kind of hinge on a great melody, um, certainly songs, um, you know, soundtracks is a different world isn't it of course and even dance music you know if the if that if the purpose of the music is to dance to uh then you know maybe the that, that sort of more sophisticated approach to melody isn't necessarily uh doesn't necessarily fit into that kind of thing but um still it was yeah i thought it was interesting because it did back up that that, that, that video really um but just I'll on one note though I have to say, though, that the Comet is coming. Uh, we played a gig with them a couple of years ago with Asteroid Deluxe, but uh, but seeing the Comet is coming on the far out stage was my highlight, uh, partly because the keyboard player, his name is Danalog, and he plays... Oh, um, awesome. I can't be honest, he is maybe now my favourite synth player, current synth player. He wow. plays... He plays a Juno and he plays, well, he, he mostly with a Juno, he's mostly, I think, just um, using it with a sustain pedal. But all the action takes place on a Roland SH-09, of all things. And the guy is astonishing with it. The things he does with it is mind-blowing. Uh, and he uses, I bet I they sound good called, as well, yeah. They do. Oh, SH09 is a. SH09, yeah. What's that? Single oscillator, very simple. Oh, yeah, but it's got the beefiest the beefiest of beefy oscillators. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's a fantastic. I think it's got a sub oscillator, I think, if I remember correctly, but it's massively weighty. But where he really shines with this thing, though, is is that he can play it almost like. A guitarist would sort of like you know like you know a guitarist could contort and whammy bar and do all this kind of stuff he's like using all the controls in ways in a very sort of performative way you know like using octave switching sort of um very oh, yeah. performing uh, but also various other kind of parameters he uh, and not just simply doing kind of filter, the filter. You, yeah <laughs> yeah um and i think he had it going into a little boss dd something little you know single stomp box um but and I think this is a big part of why they sound good is he's got it going into an Ampeg SVT eight with a with an 8x10 cab oh, Jesus. Uh, and big <laughs> valve. <laughs> and he's really hitting that quite hard as well. So 
it's got a quite a, you know quite a dirty sound to it, and, as and well. presumably not so not not too piercing because that's going to cut down. A, is that just the SHO nine that goes into the bass amp, or is it the Juno as well? Because the Juno would be stereo, wouldn't it? I think. Yeah, I couldn't tell to be honest, but I mean, so, because as I say, most of the stuff that he does is just on this mono synth. And that really kind of interested me, just in how he was using the monosynth in this such a creative way. Uh, gosh, um, in, uh, so it's just a three-piece band. There's a drummer and there's a guy, uh, I'd say Shabaka, fantastic saxophone player. Um, Shabaka has this particular style where he's always pushing the beat up. And... The music is just so. I mean, it's just this three piece. Um, I'm just trying. But, I'm, the reason I, that, that came up is just I'm trying to find yeah. a, uh, a a video clip just so we've got some sort of concept. Oh, yeah, but you know, he did this little solo piece on the on the mono synth. And here we I, go. Honestly, I've never heard anyone is, do is anything it? anything That's like it. it. That's them. That's Danalog. There's your backer. Yeah. Did he used to be in the 1976 or something as well? Or soccer? Because I've seen somebody else with a uh, a Juno. Yes, and... soccer. That's him. It's soccer. There we go. Yes, I can't remember the title. Yes, it was that. That I think soccer something at 60. Oh, here we go. That's very on. free, isn't it? Yeah, I like the sound uh, of that. That's going to be... Uh, I, I yeah. bet that's and great to see live, perhaps more than recorded, yeah. though, yeah? I oh, know, it sounds great on recording as well. Their records are fantastic. I think the, their first album was Mercury Prize nominated. It does it does make for a great listen as well. But, like, yeah, out through a massive rig at a festival where it's really banging, it's just... Oh, man, mm, I, I was literally floored by that show. It was amazing. Excellent. And uh, I, prior, prior to that, my previous highlight was I'd just seen Stereo Lab, which was a 25-year ambition of mine. I love, I've loved them for such a long time. I've never seen them live. And that was great, too. Because, of course, Stereo Lab were using all sorts of interesting vintage synthesizers and keyboards and organs and things, weren't they? they that was a big part of their sound. They were really modelled on that French futurist pop sort of sound. Are they Fantastic Welsh, Stereo Lab? No. No, okay. no. There's a. Uh, so I think it's a. Um, you know, it's a French, British, uh, English kind of. Um, the singer Letitia Sadler is French, and Tim. Oh, what's it? He's the guitarist, main guy. He's English guy, but they. Um, very unique sound, Stereo Lab. But as I say, they were using lots of vintage synths and things which were really out of fashion. Things like in the early 90s, uh, string synths and stuff like that, which really... Were they were, part of uh, the Philips Philicordia um, revival? They might, uh, that sounds ah, quite possible. I'm, ju I'm just about yeah, to bring this up. This is them as well. Let's have a look. What's he got there? OB-6. That looks like a reface and a rose. Yeah. And um, right, hold on a sec. I have to turn it off. Gosh, that was a bit epic. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Fantastic though. Um so yeah, so I mean for live they're using kind of kind of reliable modern stuff, but uh, their studio recordings were typically, you know, full of vintage vintage instruments of uh, you know, some really interesting stuff there. Um but it's quite interesting because they they were pursuing a particular thing that was just completely, you know, on its own really in terms of um not 
belonging to any movement or scene particularly. You know, lots of elements of kraut rock and various other things. Uh, but um, I particularly loved it at the gig, though, because I just felt it was like, um, I don't know, like, and I mean this in a completely clean way, adult entertainment. Uh, right, I see. <laughs> like there was no, that, right. Yeah, yeah sophisticated, modern, with a great texture and brilliant, really, really great. So, um, yeah, those are my two highlights. But the comet is coming. I, honestly, you've got to see them. Oh, no, there is one more I'd like to mention, though. Because okay. Was, and that is, um, so Shabaka plays in this other band called the, uh, Sons of Kemet, which, again, very peculiar lineup. Uh, they were one saxophone, two drummers, and a tuba player. So the tuba player, oh, I wish I could remember his name. He was doing, like, all the kind of handling all the bass end stuff, but... One incredible tuba player He'd be dancing the whole gig as well and doing all this again, a bit like Shabaka, a lot of that, bop, 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 you know, really kind of sort of staccato fast lines on a tuba. Was he, pl was he the playing it into Trace Elliott? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, one thing that happened that I thought was really funny though, at one point during the gig, everybody else left the stage except for the tuba player who just did this like five minute amazing tuba solo. And it was a capacity crowd. It was on the main stage, loads of people there. And I was thinking to myself, I bet that right now, this is the biggest audience for a solo tuba in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, and probably not only right now, I'd imagine yeah. <laughs> pretty much since their last gig. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, just he was using that tuba in ways I just couldn't even fathom. Just incredible, really. So again, another another band really well worth checking out. Just totally redefining what you'd expect for from a band, I suppose. You know, the the lineup being and the instrumentation just being unusual, something that you've not seen yeah. before. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right, uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I I didn't make it to any. What did I, I was painting this weekend, pretty much. Painting a ceiling, which is, uh, if I've got any paint on the top of my head that I haven't spotted, that's probably why. Um, a couple of ceilings. Yeah, well, I'm glad it was good. And it, uh, because it, uh, the other thing that happened this weekend, it was just sort of really awful weather. So you managed to escape that, fortunately, just one day of terrible torrential rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, well let's let's get on. I know I, I was going to play this last show, but I didn't get the opportunity, so I'm going to. Uh, I think it's this one. So check this out. And what I really like about this is it's just a noise synth, but he's using it as the soundtrack to. This is obviously Titanic, which I'm sure we get busted for. But I just thought I've never, I've never seen a synth like not, I've never seen one used like this. I've never considered for that sort of sound effects. Kind of really, I mean, it's quite. It sounds like a dying ocean liner at the moment. <laughs> Isn't it processing? My heart will go on. I don't know if it is or not. I think they just put that in. Just yeah, I I watched it for ages. It is, I mean, the the low end and the stuff is mm. astonishing. Let me see if I can find. This was actually the uh, what was it? It's the it's the uh, uh, now XL three shard, which is a sort of noise synth that, that I can't fit. I can't quite figure out whether it's a DIY or you or or you've just got opportunities to to modify it yourself. But it's just a, it's a quite an interesting concept, and it's like three hundred quid, so it's quite specialised. But it's just that I, 
because I never really figured out the whole, you know, the noise synth doesn't really, I mean, although, although to be fair, I suppose I have got a Lyra 8, which is fairly noisy, but it's kind of <laughs> cordially noisy and it can be very beautiful as well. I don't get the sense this was so beautiful, but I'd never really thought of uh, of using a synth like that for those kind of things. And it sort of makes quite a lot of sense for this sort of visceral floor shaking kind of sound effects generation as well. I just thought, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And do we know how much it is? Because it does look... 300 quid. I mean, it's not, okay. not terribly cheap, but it's specialised, I think, as we say. Boutique <laughs> and specialised. Oh, but it is funny that when you do when you do delve into just pure noise, you know, and it can it can have a really sort of magical um, effect. You know, I mean, it's not always the nicest thing for other people to listen to, but just exploring <laughs> it and just... <laughs> Um, but, you know, there is a beauty within noise, though, isn't there? There is something quite... Sometimes. You know, sometimes. <laughs> I think if, there's, if there is some, at least some harmonic intervals that make a certain amount of mm. sense, it can work like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, we're talking, you were talking about uh, this kind of more evolving melody. And I, I do remember um, Joe Zawinul, very, very famously, some of his stuff, later Weather Report stuff and, and, and solo stuff, he would create these amazing lines and chord lines, which had the like really bizarre harmonic intervals and almost really atonal stuff. But it, it sort of became, as your ear tuned into it and the other mm. stuff was fitted around it, it really started to make sense. Whereas on its own, it's, it can be a bit grating, but he was very good at that. I, I, I wish I could think of some examples, but I suppose there are, there are times when it can work, but that's the only one I could think of. <laughs> Well, I suppose talking about like melody, you know, part of the thing about melody is it it is it has like a narrative to it to it, you know, like a melody, and so so you could with you know with noise if you are shaping the noise w with some sense of narrative, if that makes kind of sense, mm. um, like to picture you know, or to yeah, it's, yeah, much, it's probably easier yeah. to do to picture than it is to just something else. Well, yeah, to, it gives it some context, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, I do. Um, I've been enjoying the electron uh, analog heat, uh, and really, you know, with it on its kind of nastiest sort of settings. Um, I, well, I think a big part of noise, though, is is the filtering, isn't it? You know, filtering the noise, and sort of maybe that is as much of part of the, um, you know, the, the yeah. Well, you pluck out, the, you can the, pluck the, out the, the harmonics and filter it down. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose the filter can make sort of yeah extract music out of the noise. I suppose you know yeah mm. with with a bit of resonance and um, but yeah I mean you know we we've talked about this a number of times really how just sometimes just just making noise just for the sake of noise not for any other purpose other than just the therapy the, the therapy of noise manipulation um it's like sort of chopping wood or digging a hole right? <laughs> or running up a hill or something it's got the same sort of yeah. therapeutic qualities right yeah yeah definitely um and uh you know ah yeah here's a question pink or white noise what's your, what, what would be your choice i suppose for flexibility i'd probably go for white because i could always filter yeah. it whereas pink yeah. is more fully it's a I mean, pink is like a yeah it's like mm -hmm. an EQ curve. We we do, I did do remember we had a discussion about this in the past because there are so many differences. There's brown, pink, oh, blue, yeah. purple. In fact, doesn't the Matrix Brute have um, several different flavors of noise? It's got all these these unusual yeah. flavors. There's like three or four, I think it is. I can't remember now, but and they all have a very different quality. 
And that that, mm-hmm. that sort of works. I mean, I, I suppose that makes sense. And and I, and I remember when we did um, we did a piece with uh, Alessandro Cortini when we went to his uh, his place after Nam, oh, yeah. and he showed us this beautiful. It works very well on those tuned filter, those fixed filter banks, and he was creating these amazing sort of. They were like a razor head background noises, which I suppose is similar to what we just heard there, but a bit more finessed. And they were just, just by using these filter banks, by, by really picking out these high cue harmonics from just a straight noise. And it can almost sound vowel-like, and you get the sense that there is a shape. Certainly in a razor head, you got the sense that there was hmm. there were pipes of different dimensions with things going through them that those mm-hmm. harmonics suggested. And it really made made for yeah. a very strong atmosphere because when... I, I, it's been a very long time since I've seen a razor head. It's, of course, David Lynch is one of David Lynch's early art films yeah and but it's got um there's lots of stark rooms with pipes running through them and i think that's hence hence the 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 way that worked i don't know what was used in that i'd be interested to know Hmm. um but uh yeah you know um the the uh the dreadbox abyss has got quite an interesting noise element in it in that you've got this kind of variable waveform that sort of uh, goes through various like pulse widths to sawtooth over uh, eventually into noise um and then you can modulate that waveform so it'll dip into the noise and the depth depends on how much into the noise it will it'll go and uh, or or you know or you can just have it so you know you just got like a little hint of noise if you want to kind of get like a kind of breathy or you know sort of some sort of texture but like when you start playing with the lfo and having it going into the noise it feels like it's like like the danger zone you know <laughs> and you can get it just just right and get get the rhythm really nice just sort of dipping into the noise that's i think that's a really really cool way rather than noise being uh, like a separate element you know with it being part of yeah this. well in the introduction i mean I, we i think we probably discussed noise and randomness in synthesis is something that is a whole area of topics we could probably spend all afternoon talking about <laughs> I, I, I hold that thought and we'll just we may as well do the uh, let's do our little uh, piece from uh, let's have a word from our friends over at isotope presenting neutron three the modern way to mix bring your workflow into the 21st century with eight modern mixing tools all at your fingertips in one Mothership plugin. Starting a mix can take a while, but with the all-new Mix Assistant, Neutron can listen to your audio and quickly suggest a custom starting point for an individual track or set levels for your entire mix. Shape sounds like never before with the new Sculptor module. Match audio to a target sonic profile and instantly sculpt it to sound more like itself or like something else completely. Reach out and touch your audio with Neutron's immersive controls and visualizations. Neutron 3 comes equipped with Visual Mixer, a tool to help you effortlessly manipulate the landscape of your mix. Neutron 3, the modern way to mix. And of course, uh, if you want to try that out, you can head over to isotope.com, sign up for an account, and you get uh, access to, I think it's a free 10-day demo for that. But we are, or they are, rather, giving away a copy of Neutron 3. And uh, what I'm, and, and it's advanced, which uh, means, I, th- I don't know what the difference between advanced and standard is. I think you, maybe you get a better meter. I, I will 
I'm going to stop there because I probably don't know and I'll only make it worse. Um, let's see. So uh, we've got a competition. So we're looking for the hashtag. This is a bit complicated to uh, read out. 21st century mixes. Uh, 20, 21ST, 21st century mixes as one word. And the hashtag Neutron3 as the other word. So tweet those because it's a Twitter competition to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So uh, what we do is we pick out uh, all the ran we take a random number from the number of entries and then we count down the number of random number and then we pick the entry uh, th that wins. So it's truly, I mean, I wouldn't say it was kind of totally scientific, but it's about as random as we can manage without getting involved in sort of deeper mathematics. But anyway, we wanted to uh, say uh, we have a winner for last week. Uh, last week, we've got somebody called, I don't know what they called, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this, Daiku1. And they tweet, uh, not last week, last competition, uh, uh, former soft software guy that loves fine furniture building. That sounds interesting. Uh, like this production, of course, Sonic State. So if you want to get in touch uh, at Daiku1, then you are this last week's winner, uh, or last show's winner for of uh, Neutron 3. And congratulations. Um, let's have a look here. One voice Deckard. What should we go next? Uh, um, I think we'll go. Yeah, let's have a look at that. Have I got, did I get this? I, yeah. So this is uh, the news that Black Corporation, who made the Deckard's Dream. And uh, so they've got the uh, a kind of rack version of the CS80 sort of voice machine. Not necessarily the hardware. They're bringing out uh, Deckard's voice, which is a single CS80 voice style voice in Eurorack and it's only a couple of hundred bucks and they, they're doing mm -hmm. uh they're going to be doing uh pre-orders at the moment so I guess they they will be ramping up for bigger amount of uh sales and they've also got oh yeah Deco's Dream pre-order 199 and then there was also the uh, Ra uh Rachel because a lot of people were saying that um let me see if I've got to open this one as well because I didn't have this window ready they were a lot of people were saying that uh, it's nothing without the uh Without the ring mod, uh, and there's very little actually information about the uh, module Rachel, which is the Vangelis-inspired um, module. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, isn't it? How how and we talked about this before. How the the thought of having something so of the largesse of uh, a CS80, this kind of legendarily uh, unaffordable synthesizer, that's also actually kind of hard to own, just purely because it's so finickety. The thought of that, the brand of it is so strong that people will buy bits of it, even though the bit of it has sort of almost nothing to do with the physical nature of the actual instrument itself, like the poly aftertouch, the physicality of the keyboard and the and the touch strip and all of those things. It's, it's interesting. I think it'll do well, it, despite the fact that it's not actually, a, you know, the CS80. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's also funny how, like, the just the, the impact of... Blade Runner as a you know cultural icon can you know give this decade's dream and now it's called Rachel. Just um, I can't think of any other maybe film that has quite such a um, well, may, I, no, I don't think so. in the synth world this that holds just such a strong appeal that you could name modules after it. But um, yeah, I mean, looks good, doesn't it? I mean, I think all of the uh, Black Corporation stuff is um, has a lot of intrigue it's got about cachet it. Cachet, yeah. yeah. Can I just put? Um, I got that totally yeah. wrong. One nine nine is the deposit for Deckard's voice. The actual full thing is ah. six nine nine. So you pay one nine nine now, and then presumably you put the 
three nine nine on the delivery. So I do beg your pardon. Uh, mm. Hold, yeah, before you rush out and uh, max out your credit <laughs> card. It's not one nine nine. It's six nine nine. I do beg your pardon. Wow, six nine nine. That that. I mean, how much? How much is the Deckard Stream though? I mean, and that's eight voices. About it, five, four, four, four thousand bucks, something like that. Let's have a look. I'm okay, find so it. I suppose when you start adding it all up, um, with the Deckard Stream though, because I haven't actually. I haven't actually had a go of one. How how much of the CS80 is in that then of the Deco stream? Or, you know, I mean, because we're talking about like the oscillators and the filters and, and the ring mod. And, well, and as you mentioned, good, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I'm as well as uh, using technology today and in the near future, you'll be able to play Deco stream with a stunning expressive control. Uh, oh. So, uh, yeah, it's Kimji. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I. That's a good question. 16 VCOs, mm. polyphonic aftertouch, and... Uh, oh, sorry, I've switched to this. Okay. It's got the, uh, it's the, got the poly aftertouch then. Analog and DSP effects built in mm -hmm. as well. Video reviews. Oh, the Kimji review, the synth I've been... Oh, I wonder who got to review that. Uh, Ricky Tino's. Oh, Ricky Tino, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he's been making some good video content, I think. Oh no, that's something else. That's the Kimji, which is the uh, oh, which was yeah. actually sorry. That's the Kimji, which is the RSF Cobol, which is a really interesting synth as well. Actually, I, I remember. Um, I'm trying to think who it was now. Um, they did a fantastic uh, emulation of it, Poly Cobol, uh, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It, and it, it, the thing that was really good about it was the morphing between the waveforms was just astonishing. Uh, what's it called? Cobol Poly Cobol. Gosh, I, my memory's. It was years ago mm. I did uh, um, software, Polycobol, who was it? Zill's Lab, that's right, Zill's Lab. Zill's Lab, that's yes. that, that was a great, and I remember for the time, that was an amazing sounding synth uh, in software. Mm. It, was, it was one of those synths that kind of raised the bar for other software synths to try and to try and incorporate. So it, it was one of those things that helped increase the quality of general, general quality of uh, of those synths. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm tangentializing here. At least <laughs> I, on the synth subject, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Um, yeah, so they um, well, they're based. I think are they based in Tokyo, Black Corporation? I think they might be. Um, yeah, they yeah. might be. Actually, I, I think there are there's a couple of American guys in the company as well. But I think they are based. Yeah, I think they're based in Tokyo, and um, they like to party. That's that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's interesting because we uh, hung out uh, with, hopefully are going yeah. to be going to Tokyo quite soon. So maybe we'll get a chance Ooh. to uh, meet them. That'll be interesting. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Although I would like some time off. I mean, you know, <laughs> as we yeah. are. A lot. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Mm. So anyway, that's the one voice Deckard, which is uh, Deckard's voice, and the Rachel, which will be coming along at some time in the scene. History of Let's have a look. Should we do this? Should we do? Uh, did you see the? Uh, oh, I'm trying to look for it. The this was uh, a video that uh, was recently posted mm. from uh, uh, Continue ContinueCon. And this was uh, Geert Beaven talking about the history the of do alternative controllers. And he's got the Eigen Lab stuff there. He's got a Pico mm -hmm. and the Eigen Harp. Um, is that the Alpha? There was another one which is even bigger. And he just yeah, sort of talks about that, the, the whole uh, way that it's become... Uh, it's evolved, you know, this kind of polyphonic expression, obviously the mm. instrument. And, and he's a really big exponent awesome. of that kind of stuff. I mean, without him, I yeah. think MPE probably wouldn't have got as far as it had. Interesting oh, gosh, watch. No, I mean, he, yeah. Definitely. And he, and Geert's now a full-time employee of uh, Moog Music now, um, 
which I think is a smart move because he's he's a, you know he's been on the show, hasn't he? He's a he's a yeah. super super nice and super smart guy, uh, and it's interesting because the you know he was an early proponent of the Eigenhop, um, which you know <laughs> I was remembering back about that the idea of the Eigenhop when it first came out because you know it's like um, it's got all these keys which are uh, which can do um, you know up and down, left and right, and pressure. Uh, and very, very, very sensitive to the touch too. Um, so, in many ways, it was a forerunner, really. I guess to things like the instrument and the, um, the 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 seaboard, although albeit in a very different format. But one of the things about the Eigenharp, though, gosh, which must have been really, really hard for people to do, is you could build synth voices on the fly. You could kind of create an envelope, create, uh, but you'd have to learn. Strange yeah, it was. It was. So, I, I had the Pico to review, and I. I mm. It was. It was one of those things that every time you touched it, it just went completely haywire because they didn't. Get, <laughs> um, they didn't do any rounding on the parameters, and you couldn't yeah. adjust the sensitivity very well. Uh, mm. And they just. They just yeah. weren't. Yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, it was a shame. I had a Pico too, but it was just really hard to make music on it. Although, you know, that had like the touch strip on there and it also had the, the pipes. So you could do breath control and, or you could do bowing with the, um, you know, with the, uh, with this like kind of touch strip and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I could get some quite nice kind of cello kind of action on it. And, but it was just ultimately just a little bit too hard to play. And um, however, you know, this is how I first became aware of Geert and then sort of see, sort of following him from there on. And, you know, he was the guy who he, I think he wrote the firmware for the instrument. Um, so he's heavily involved with Roger Lynn on the instrument. And then, um, so yes, so yeah. So he, I guess is probably the, the most, qualified person to talk on this matter i suppose um that's a, yeah it's a good that's a good little that's a good feature to watch though because he goes into quite deep yeah, you know, it, good detail about what's this. really interesting about this though is because uh, the alpha labs the eigen uh eigen labs rather eigen, eigen they Lab. went early and i remember going to music messer and in many ways mm. there were similar parallels between them and roly because they got the the guy i think i forget the story there was a backstory behind it the guy basically sold a company for millions and this was just something he wanted to do so he hired lots of bright young things and literally we went to i think we went to music messer and he had his la had his booth it was a massive booth must have cost a fortune with loads of people on it and there were loads of people working for it and it just it it, it went it was kind of so it's quite similar to roly except it was in nowhere near successful so unfortunately it mm. just didn't take on because there was that whole thing about it looking a bit like uh, you're in the star wars band and it was it Cantina. was a bit of a it just didn't quite you didn't it didn't look very cool playing it i suppose you, it was you stuck out in sort of the wrong way and so yeah, I, i'd and have worn my the, cape though i think if i had one i'd worn my cape and you know gone for it to you know I think you have but to own that sort of stuff. It does, but it's a bit. Isn't it a bit like <laughs> rocking out with an oboe? You know, it just. The, those What's things, wrong with that? Well, or a bassoon, perhaps. Yeah, come on, you could rock on a bassoon. Okay, I, I, I reserve the right. If I could play the bassoon, bassoon, I'd reserve the right to rock out on it. You probably could play the bassoon better. More easily than you could. Yeah, that's the mm. that's the uh, that's the sad truth of it. It was just. Are they, so are they no longer? Are, 
No, I've got the website here. Look, the website's here. And it's rather, Eigen Lab's here, but rather unfortunately, the first thing you see is why buy an Eigen Harp, which is a question that's kind of rhetorical, isn't it? I suppose, (laughs) given what we've been talking about. It's a bit unfair. It was. uh, so look, uh, beautiful yeah. looking things, though the finish on it, and yeah. oh yeah, it was, it was, it really was a nice. thing of real. It was beautifully mm. made, and it was very expensive, yeah. but it was it yeah. was yeah, I would agree. But uh, it was one of those, as uh, Rich Hilton so often says, uh, future doorstop, doorstop of the future, or future doorstop. <laughs> oh isn't dear. It? Um, mm. So yeah, right. there is. There, I think we have a Pico somewhere, or we had a Pico. I mm. wonder what happened to that. I haven't seen it for ages. Maybe it got lent, and that was that. I think I might have lent it to Lee. Or I can't remember now. Might have gone to Lee hmm. Kemp, actually. Happy birthday, Lee, by the way, um, for a couple of days oh. ago. Oh, happy um, birthday, Lee, yeah. Okay, right. Well, there's that. Um, what mm-hmm. else have we got here? Uh, history, we've done history controllers. We've done that one. There are other mm. topics, but... Oh, yeah. Did you see the... Oh, uh, oh yep. Go on. I, sorry. I was only saying because we had that other, the, uh, the um, key step thing as well. Oh, yes, because we haven't got that in there. The key step, as we know, has become, it's kind of like a, a, it, it's essential yeah. kit for modular or laptop performance because oh. it's so small. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's perfect. I don't know how many men must have sold it. It must be, I would, I would venture yeah. it's the highest selling controller keyboard of all time. And that's a guess. I mean, I don't know oh, that. I would guess that. I've described it in the past as like almost like the Stratocaster of MIDI controllers, you know, kind of yeah. because it's ubiquitous and also very, very versatile. Um, you know, and some people are like, oh, there's no there's no control knobs on there other than the, the three knobs there. So, you know, as a, as a controller, it kind of lacks that side of things, but makes up for it with its really brilliant sequencer or fun sequencer. And now version two... Um, firmware has made the sequencer much more useful. Uh, namely, in that the the way you'd have to create a sequence in the past was you'd uh, if you wanted to create like an an empty sixteen bar. I think we've done this in the past, haven't we, Nick? With something, so you'd have to go um, go into the record mode without it in play mode and just tap in sixteen times to create yes. a sixteen to to create an. Now. You hold down shift, and then the, the 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 numbers which kind of indicate which MIDI channel it is. If you hold down shift, and then hit it, that's a way that you can quickly sort of set up um, uh, how long right. you want the sequence okay. to be, and that means you can also do that in a performative way as well. That you can kind of have your shorten sequence and running and then okay. just shorten it and lengthen it and that sort of thing, which is a pretty big deal if you're a keystep user. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, I did have real trouble. Doing the update, though, um, uh, Arturia suggested that you, I mean, if you're doing it on a Mac, that is um, trashing all the MIDI in the audio MIDI settings in the MIDI page. Uh, but that didn't work for me. What I, what worked for me, just in case anyone else has this problem, was just disconnecting every single thing from the computer other than the keyboard and the monitor. And then it allowed me to update that. So just if anyone has has any trouble, then you know oh, it's a bit of a pain. But the thing yeah. I I mean I find that I use the key step a lot for demoing stuff for little desktop things because the way that mm. the shot is 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 set up there. If you've got like a really big long keyboard and then a module because you can get a module in at sort of sixteen nine. So I try and get yeah. the keyboard in so that the whole thing fits in in essentially the 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 ratio of this window otherwise it's like a massive keyboard at the bottom with a tiny module at the top which looks wrong mm-hmm. but the thing i yeah. find with the sequencer and it, I, it, it it's really frustrating is i think what i want is this feel 
and I can, you can't get it because you've got to figure out what the divisions need to be to get that kind of little push or little skip. And I just can't, I, my mind just can't work that way. And I spend ages right. trying to figure out how to then subdivide it up. What would be really handy to me is if you could start with a 16 step and then sort of expand it out so that it suddenly then became 32 or 48, but with the same timing so that the steps, that the intervals just got smaller. So that you could then throw in a little bit of a hey that's off the beat or whatever, because I find that really difficult. If you want to get anything that's not straight and doesn't involve just a swing, it's really difficult to do. And also, you have to kind of almost have to put a note in at the beginning because you never know where one is because there's no real indicator. Mm. So it it takes a bit of a knack, in my opinion. Yeah, although I I do quite love losing the one and just having it, you know, just having it being. You know, totally disorientated from that that point of view. Um, what was I going to say though? Um, yeah, a couple of keys have gone dead on my one though. So if anyone oh, really? knows how to fix it, yeah, I've, I opened it up and tried to clean the contacts, but still, um, yeah. <laughs> because I you throw it about so much around. <laughs> that might help. <laughs> um, what was I going to say though? But yeah, I mean, the thirty-two keys makes a big difference com- compared to the you know, like a typical smaller keyboard yeah. with 25 keys. And, uh, you know, native instruments have kind of copied that form a little bit with their M32, uh, their, their mini uh, keyboard. Um, but after touch as well. On a yeah. Little sub well, and MIDI, let's not forget MIDI CV cool. gate. You know, that's that's something that's important as well. And that's that's, oh, that's yeah. the reason why you get loads of people, loads of modular people using it because it's just, yeah. you know. It, it, and also, you know, full-size MIDI ports as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a and classic. Some, I think we could we could say that. Couldn't we? I think a definite classic. Yeah, even if I've got a couple of dead keys, <laughs> um, maybe we should drop it again yeah, and see if they come back. No, one don't of do the it features live. people. <laughs> one of the features that people sometimes forget about, though, is uh, and this works for, in both sequencer and in ARP mode, is that if you hold the shift button, change a setting, like maybe change the um, the time division. So long as you're holding shift down, it doesn't make the change until you oh. release the shift. Oh, really? And then I if you whack no, shift down, change it again. Yeah. So you can so you use that in extremely musical ways. Ah, so um, that's neat. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, really neat. Very yeah, very easy to miss that one. So. Um, oh yeah, there's. I'm I sure. Actually, I, I've, I remember uh, Mylar Melodies. Alex, he did a really good kind of like this is how to use it, and hmm. uh, and it's a great video if you check it out. He's had loads of views on it because for a simple yeah. thing, it's actually got a lot of hidden features. It has, and do you know one of the things I love so much and the way that i use it though is the shift and the midi channel change in that it's just there's no menu diving it's so quick so uh if you've got um you know a bunch of things like i have at the back here midi you know midi devices all connected just being able just to just jump to them and essentially route it somewhere else yeah, super fast. You know, I think that's one of the great things. And of course, that shift, and you can change the gate length with shift, and also the 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 amount of swing as well. And again, because you can do that in this kind of super fast way, it, it all adds to its um, performability. Um, oh, and another thing as well is that on the back here, you've got three CV outputs. You've got mod, gate, and pitch. Yeah. In the MIDI software, you can change that mod to be fed from the aftertouch as well. Ah. So I think that's I did, another that's thing. That's another well. thing I didn't know. Gosh, I'm learning so much yeah. about this already. And I, <laughs> I'm trying to think the last time. I haven't yeah. used it for a little while because the last thing I reviewed mm. was the Peak. 
And then before that, well, I can't remember what I reviewed before that. Mm. I've, I've completely forgotten. It's gone. But there's more stuff coming soon. Um, cool. Okay, well, no, I'm glad we covered that because it is kind of a big deal. It's always good to see that there's uh, uh, updates going on. Yeah. Um, oh, Support there was this other free. thing. Was this? Uh, did you see the, speaking of MIDI interfaces, did you see the uh, Mi Bip? Uh, Mi Blip, uh, rather, nice. Cubic Go, which is just a nice little, uh, really simple uh, MIDI yeah. in and out. One MIDI in and out, but with four throughs. So, again, you could hook up <laughs> many different things from the one box, and it's got a one I.O. But inside is a little uh, processor that kind of makes sure that all of those, um, <clears throat> all, all of those uh, ports are... Bang on in terms of latency. There's no, there's no discernible latency. It's got a little uh, uh, um, it, arm it, processor in it. Is that USB just for power, or, or is it so you can No, it's for it? USB. It's a USB class compliant. It's only fifty. It is class bucks. compliant, and it's only fifty nine yeah, bucks great. as well. And I'm not sure about this. I don't know if Peter Kern is involved in MeBit or he's. Yeah. Just does their PR for it. I'm not entirely sure because no, I think he's involved in the design. I think. Ah, right. Good. Or I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly he certainly yeah. I think it's I think a lot of the influence of what they do is is from him. But uh, I, well, I might be wrong about that. But um, but he's certainly part of the yeah. I mean, I I strongly associate that. Yeah, I with thought him. so too. I was going to mention it in the story, but I thought I, I'm not so sure about that. Mm. I, I, maybe I should check. Uh, yeah. What else have we got? I've been having well, I've oh, been having lots got... of. Uh, Fun. Well, just on the on the MIDI the MIDI thing. Just um, I mentioned this many times. It's just I think it's one of the best little gadgets on the market. This is the RetroKit RK005, which is a USB host, um, but it's got tons of really interesting features. Um, I like um, the fact it's a really excellent thing for plugging into your OP1 as an example. Um, you know, like a, like a little break. So into the, you know, it hosts the OP1 essentially. So ah, okay. if you would like, if, if you'd like to have, you know, MIDI IO. MIDI IO on your OP1, then that's the way to go. But, but it, that's only like a fraction of what it can do. This, um, it can play, it can play back MIDI files. So if you just plug in a USB, um, card it's reader like a thumb into drive it. Or a- yeah, and it'll automatically. So, so if you have like lots of you, <laughs> if you have lots of cards with um, MIDI files on, and you just plug the MIDI fi- the card in there, and it'll start playing out the MIDI, um, you know, full sixteen channels or whatever of. Um, so uh, you could use it as a player. Cool... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. So it's uh, it's and it's also got a little uh, it's got a little gate output on there, but I think that's configurable as well. Um, is it the web? Yeah, is it web made configure configurator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, of course, so that, I, uh, that's actually reminding me. I got this guy, which is the, was given to me. I think last year's super yeah. and that's uh, flip it around. Yeah, which is that's I also that. <laughs> look at that. It's personalised. Oh, Look wow, Music Personality of the Year. I didn't realise it said that. I just saw the logo. God, yes, I, I won Music Personality yeah. of the Year. I used to be somebody. <laughs> didn't get it last year. I didn't get Back it last 2017. year. 2017. Yeah, right. No. I'm old news now. <laughs> old news. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I was mentioning that arcade, that, that thing again, because I think it's something that sometimes slips under the radar. But if you do have like a doorless kind of situation and you are looking for a you know, a problem solver. Again, you know, think there's a lot of controller keyboards out there, like uh, the Korg Nano Studio, for instance, that will work over Bluetooth, but it does have a, um, a micro USB on there. So just the fact that you can oh, make got... your, um, 
Yeah. How does it get power non- then? Does it need? Uh, uh, does ah, it need- yeah. You'd then use the. Um, yeah, there's a there's a USB port on the front and the back. This one can um, be like a USB client uh, or power. And then here, this side is the host. But unlike some of the other things, like the the, uh, the Kenton one, um, this one, if you plug in um, like a, a hub, you can have multi. It will host loads of devices. I don't know quite how many, but um, oh really? You could That's have useful. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you could have all your... In fact, I like doing this. If I want to unburden... Because I've got so many USB devices here. If I want to unburden my computer of USB, you know, devices, you can just put it into the, the hub on here. So you can... So that sort of, like, takes away... So just have so a... that would um, need to be powered, would it, to get enough juice to... No, when I plug it into the computer. Ah, so, so I plug you... it into the computer uh, through the um, through the USB client... Ah, right. So then it just so powers it get, everything else. Yeah. So so it gets the power from the client, but also it will just appear as like, you know, just as a single USB. Yeah, sorry, as a sort of your 16 channels, but you can then get at the... Um, oh, I, oh, I can't remember now if you have to share up just the 16 channels. I think, I'm not sure. I'd have to check it out again. But anyway, sorry, I keep mentioning this thing because I just, yeah... I thought that there was going to be tons more USB host stuff to come out, and and it's hasn't. Well, presumably, happened, so. they're, they're presumably writing kind of client uh, drivers or writing class compliant drivers for mm. something that is essentially held. I mean, because it's fixed in time, unless you can update the firmware, there, there must be other 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 things that uh, cause yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. guess so. But yeah, anyway, if you want to check out the uh, the me blip, it's only like I say, it's only uh, fifty nine bucks, which mm. is, is is another one of the maybe that and your uh, and and the retrokits arcade would uh, would be an excellent collection. Um, yeah. Both that could work very well. Yeah. Uh, what mm. else do we? Have? Oh yeah, I had this. Uh, this on synth anatomy. Uh, we had. Uh, the, you could you could pimp your Korg MS20 Mini with these overlays, which I I just really like the idea of this stuff. So you can uh, recolor the synth and make hidden you know visible, especially on the patch bay, so you can label it up. I don't know what that, and you can you could just make it look really different. And uh, I'm trying to think what they yeah, 40, 40 bucks is quite expensive for an overlay kit, but I like the idea of this customization. And I know people sort of tend to shy away a bit, particularly collectible. I, I suppose it depends on what. How expensive mm. the kit is that you are collect you're you're going to customize because it could be you might think it ruins its providence and uh, and then then you kind of you know it's too personal. A nice brighter interface though um, could really help if you're using it live though because like I say like the MS20 very black surface if it's yeah, you know if the lighting good. is less than ideal very grandmother you know, like that it? you know it's very mood grandmother yeah, I was going to say yeah <laughs> turn your MS20 into a grandmother. Oh, a a great auntie, should we call it? A great. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at this and see what it's. Uh, that we can make that bit. May as well have a look at the video. Oh, so you got to take the screws off, and then it's a uh, ah. So it's a. It's not stickers. Oh my God! Remove all the knobs. Oh Jesus! Oh, big job. Okay, here we go. Yeah, well, I suppose that makes sense. You'd have to, really, wouldn't you? Yeah. Maybe it's magnetic. Hmm. Although I'd imagine all the knobs will hold it in place. 
That does look cool. It does. I don't know. I think yeah. the MS Twenty kind of got superseded by the. I, I wanted to. I think they should do more MS Twenty desktops because that was such a great synth. I really. That's one thing I gelled with that really well because it. The, hmm. It made the MS Twenty make so much more sense to me as a synth because it was always very limiting. Even though you know the filters and whatnot made it, but the the lack of uh, PWM, which is not a big thing, but things like that and uh, oscillator sync. And a few other things besides, and the fact that also the routing was ever so slightly different, so you could actually control the two oscillators independently, which was much harder to do on the original, if not impossible, from what I remember. So yeah, it's a shame that never. I, that's one thing I, I wish I'd because um, I built that kit and they sent it back, and I, I, should, I wish I'd kept hold of that because it made a lovely sound and it definitely had a better. Oh better vibe to it then. what have you got though you've got an old ms20 though haven't you i've got like an original yeah i've got an original yeah, yeah. um mm -hmm. i mean it's all right apart from um i don't think i've got anything that will properly control it through voltage i mean you know because it's such a weird it's s trig and uh hertz volts no hertz volts volt yeah hertz volts not volt per octave so it's all and the, and the trigger is the trigger is inverted, so the gate, it's all like wrong, <laughs> basically. Everything's completely <laughs> wrong. So you yeah. end up kind of like, you know, you, you stop a note by pressing the button rather than. Yeah. Uh, one of the bands I saw at the weekend is, um, hang on, Pigs, 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 a band called that. <laughs> it's often abbreviated to Pigs Times Seven. Uh, and the singer, he was using an MS20, um, and it was a white one. And I was trying to remember, did they do a, what, a limited edition all white one? Or I wondered if he could, if, if he'd sort of what, um, painted it. Yeah, like an all white. It was all. Uh, well, at first, I was good... like, oh, what's that? I think there yeah. was. Mm. I think that mm, was. I had a feeling actually. that there might have been. Uh, MS20 mm. white version. Maybe, let me just have a look. Yeah. I think there was a limited edition uh, kit white. But you see, that sounded great. I mean, they're really like a really heavy rock band. Um, but yeah. the sound of the MS Twenty when he was, you know, he was doing sort of burbles and splurples and that kind of thing, uh, and it sounded great. You know, alongside all the kind of mashed up guitars, it sort of had a, you know, it it kind of held its own. Um, so it has got it's a really ferocious sound you can get off that. Um, screaming sound oh yeah uh, and the uh, i think the mini that uh, was it the mini or the desktop kit you could switch between the filter types because there's a type one and a type two filter from what i remember and i'm sure there was a there was some oh. sort of boot uh firmware or boot sequence oh, where you yeah. could flip between them because one was one was more screamy and one was a bit creamier screamy or creamy mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's a possible title. That's a title, no, no, no. isn't it? Maybe, maybe not. Actually, thinking about it, it's, it could be misconstrued. Screaming. It could be misconstrued. Yes. Uh, so far, the titles um, are "Melodically Empty Stomach," which I quite like, Gaz. That was a good one. Um, uh, and I love yeah. losing the one was another great quote of yours. So that, that those are possible. Uh, I do. <laughs> so it's two to one in the titles. Uh, there, you've got two good ones, and I've got one that's slightly dubious and could be probably. Probably not such a good idea. It's a PG yeah. title potentially. Um, <laughs> I got it. It's five o'clock. We we got it. We, wow. we got that. Where was that? I we, think we can... I think we were kind of we were close there. Oh, did you see that? Um, where was it? This band Bastille. That was quite funny. 
I, I mean, you can tell when things are getting, uh, when things are thin on the ground, you start looking on NME.com for stories. <laughs> so, uh, oh, dear. Yeah, this was uh, Bastille. Uh, I think there's a tweet down here somewhere. Where was it? They did a, they did a gig in uh, Holl- uh, Sweden somewhere. And that basically, it just, so, on a, on a, a theme park ride, like a massive kind of one of those terrifying drops. So he's got a radio mic and he's singing the lead vocal. <laughs> Jesus. Really and he's got in ears as well, so he's obviously got good. They've got good range on his radios. It's different, ex- different meaning for waiting for the drop, isn't it? But they got, that's always interesting. It's like, what, uh, which kind of led to one of those? What's the what's the weirdest place you've ever done a gig? I mean, that was that was more like a playback thing, or he might have been he might have gone up there mm. while you know the band were playing somewhere. I don't know exactly how that worked, but uh, I just thought that was a it might have been a good conversation over. But it is five o'clock, so it's kind of like yeah, <laughs> God, yeah, weirdest place to gig. Um, gosh, uh, oh, I'd need to think about that one. I've definitely done some weird ones. Yeah, I'm trying to think weirdest of the place weird, mm. uh, weirdest place. Uh, one of the weirdest places I went to uh, to see a gig was at um, it was in Oldborough at the Speed of Sa- I can't remember the name of the. Uh, it was like Oldborough Electronic Music Festival. It was one of the first events we covered for ages ago. We drove for six or seven hours to get to Oldborough. It's right over on the east coast of the UK, and it was in. It's on an old uh, uh, US kind of post-war um, airbase. And the control bunker um, was this massive concrete structure with all of these sort of incredible uh, deflector concrete screens. So, you know, blast resistant, Mm. effectively. So then it would just sort of dissipate any kind of blast. And also it could be near the planes. Planes could take off and it would thrust into them and it would be all right. And we did an interview with uh, Modified Toy Orchestra. I think they were called Modified Toy Modified, to- yeah, I think they were called. And, mm. and and inside they did a gig inside the bunker, and the bunker was wow. it was in the summer and it was insanely hot and every room was just a concrete, just a windowless because it's a bunker, a windowless, airless, concrete room with really loud pinging music in it. That was kind of weird. I, I wasn't where I played, but that was kind of a weird one in terms of a mm. gig. I mean, I. I I don't know if it's so much weird as kind of impressive, but I played um, a gig with Charlotte Church in the, well, with the Pop Dungeon in Edinburgh's Natural History Museum, which mm. was amazing. What a building. They only grant one music license every five years. So I felt ever so, you know, privileged to be able to play that gig. Um, but a beautiful, big glass. Uh, oh, it's one of the most beautiful, uh, certainly the most beautiful place I've ever played. I mean, absolutely dreadful for acoustics. Yeah, awful sound. Yeah, nine-second nine <laughs> yeah. bass drum reverb, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, bet. But, yeah, but what a... I mean, gosh, if you do go to Edinburgh, you, know, you must visit that place, so it is stunning. But it was just incredible things all around, you know, around us as well. Um, so that was great. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, not, not, not a good sound. Um, but, wow, I don't know. But, yeah, God, I've done so many weird gigs over the years. I'd have to have a good think about that one. I'm sure there's weird places. Oh, actually, I've got another one. I, I've, I've got a story. Oh, yeah. uh, I, uh, I did a gig in Berlin uh, in the 90s with a 10-piece, uh, like, jazz funk outfit. 
sort of quite tight staccato, rhythmically complicated music, brass section, percussionist, keyboard player, bass player, drummer, you know, all of that kind of thing. And uh, we rocked up and it was the old abandoned central bus depot in uh, in Berlin, which is about the size mm. of, I don't know, several enormous aircraft hangars all in one space with loads of, there was a space in the middle, but all surrounding it were all these kind of 1950s, 60s, 70s sort of derelict coaches uh, from, you know, the Cold War era. I think it was in former East East mm. Berlin. And uh, wow. we showed up and I thought, oh, this would be challenging. But it got even worse because they basically the PA company rocked up and just left this pile of PA in the middle of the floor and said, off you go. And I had to build, <laughs> I had to build and tune the PA before I could sound check the band in a room where literally it was bass drum. It was just like, it, it was like, it was like a bass drum into a freeze reverb, but full bandwidth. <laughs> I mean, it was just ghastly. It, the sound was yeah. almost impossible. In fact, what happened, we had a power cut, which was, a, was actually a bit of a, a bit of a godsend because then the band played acoustically and it was much better. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Cool. Yeah. Even, even well, apart from you could, you could only hear drums. I think someone had an acoustic guitar, so it was all right. But yeah, it, well, that was the weirdest uh, place I've played to. Most I, unsuitable. I, I remember good. I played um, at Shunt in London, which was an amazing, uh, it was an old, it was in the London underground. Um, and it was, uh, it was kind of like this weird place. I think it was from Victorian era, the early days of the underground. And it was like somewhere where they would store all the underground, all the, the tube, sort of the carriages and stuff. It was like, um, and uh, oh, it was wonderful. It had like this kind of central sort of, and it was all totally dark. But then these, you'd have these, um, like kind of tube, like um, sort of like little avenues coming off the main sort of the main the main drag, if you want to call it that. Uh, and things would be very dimly lit, and you could just wander through this uh, big network of tunnels. Um, sadly, that closed down when they. I mean, <laughs> we talked about the shard earlier with that noise box, but um, when they built the shard, uh, the you know the, um, the the skyscraper in London that was directly over this place so it kind of closed it down um but that was that was amazing place actually shunt um and what was quite funny about shunt was that the way in was just an anonymous door which just opened into um london uh a, a tower bridge uh tube station it was just an anonymous door and you just got, oh really you, you know yeah, you go through this door and into this big network of tunnels, and ah, oh, so cool. But yeah, sadly, gone now. But, um, As is so much property prices and all that. Actually, that that yeah. was that place that we went to in uh, in Berlin um, with the Seabase? underground Sea Base. Yeah, Sea Base oh, with what the a kind place. of which was all decked out mm. in kind of like kitsch nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies space internals but there's oh, a floor below which was place. i didn't get to see that that was restricted oh, area, but you got to have a look yeah restricted area. yes um should not really say too much about it given that it's a hacker space but it is somewhere if you are part of that hacker community i'm sure you'll know about um seabase but what a brilliant place um after after show party there uh at uh, super booth but um yeah spent many an hour there <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, leaving there about five or six in the morning and then be back at Superbooth for <laughs> 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, yeah, t- I, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I mean, we only went there once because yeah. the rest of the time was so knackered, but that was a good, uh, good fun. Yeah. Looking forward to Great next place. week, Booth, of course. Uh, 
So, mm. yeah, hopefully that'll be good. Well, Gaz, I think we mm. made it. I mean, we've we've actually surpassed. Yay. We've surpassed our, uh, our, our brief here. So I uh, want to thank everybody <laughs> for listening. It's been, I hope you've enjoyed yes, it. Yes, definitely. And I'm just going to give you another view of my a- antique Synthsite T-shirt. <laughs> if I find any more of those, I might try and we might do a giveaway or something. But uh, I'll have oh, to, yeah. te- to see how ve- how valuable they all are. Um, but yes, so well, that was that was Sonic Talk number five eight seven. Don't forget if you want to uh, five eight seven. Want to enter the competition to win isotopes? Uh, oops, no, I have to do that. And then that, don't I? Isotope Neutron 3 Advanced. Mm. Don't forget, we're looking for the hashtag 21st Century Mixes, where 21st is 21ST, as in 21st, the number representation mm. of that. 21st Century Mixes and the hashtag Neutron 3 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And uh, we'll pick a yeah. winner in the next show. And of course, next week's show is not going to be live. We've got the uh, pre recorded interview with uh, Imogen Heap, which I thoroughly uh, recommend. Uh, she's a great, uh, a great subject, mm. a great interviewer. E interview. Uh, yes, I think that's the right way. Mm. So, thank you, guys, for joining us. Um, yeah, it's been okay. great fun as ever. Thank you. Can I just give a couple of cinema um, tips and tip uh, and sort of warnings? Oh yeah, go on then. <laughs> I went to see Midsummer. I think you can just catch it. It's oh, is that the, the horror? Is that the Swedish horror thing? Folk horror. Folk horror. It's fantastic. Is it's it? really good. I mean, it's yeah, it's a bit. How does it compare whoa. to The Wicker Man? It's yeah, very very favourably. If you like The Wicker Man, you're going to love it. Midsummer. It's brilliant. I loved it, and the soundtrack and that is amazing. But also, I think it was just probably the most beautiful film I've ever seen, actually, in terms of, I think it's all like 4K, really high quality, um, but gosh, whoa, <laughs> what a film. Um, but if you like your non-Hollywood style films, then I'd recommend it. It really is, um, yeah, it's a very good film. But the warning is, I just want to warn everybody off the stinking cesspit that is um, Yesterday, Danny Boyle's latest film. Oh, it is thoroughly, thoroughly disgraceful. Honestly, it's the worst film I've ever seen. I hated every minute of it. It's, oh, God. I'm so pleased that I've got a platform where I can vent my spleen about that dreadful thing. Uh, everyone associated with that film should be very ashamed of themselves. Oh, it truly is the, absolutely abysmal. Oh, God, that was a, I mean, oh, so nearly walked out, you know, just kind of just, you know, just gritted my teeth and tried to get through it just in case. It, was in that, case was, it was going to uh, be... Can so- I ask you, was that a common theme from people leaving the cinema or was it, did it just particularly affect you that way? So, so There was hardly viscerally. anyone there. I, I, hardly anyone there, as is the case with virtually every film I go to see. Is cinemas are so generally empty these days. But um, uh, no, there was a group of people who were laughing who were, who were laughing at just the most <laughs> lamest bits. So I guess maybe... I could just, just picture you standing up and going, what are you doing? This is dreadful. <laughs> what are you doing? Are we, uh, but yeah. it's a shame because Danny oh, Boyle, as we know, he's like a bit of a creative, you know, he's a creative power. So what, what happened? I don't... I, I, I don't know. You know, because the premise of that film is like this idea yeah. that... What you know, happens this if the Beatles his... didn't exist, yeah. Yeah, he has like a bike, uh, I mean, he gets knocked off his bike by a bus or something. And then, you know, when he comes to, the Beatles don't exist. He's somehow in some, it doesn't explain what that is, some parallel universe or whatever. But the amount of things they could have done with it, and it, oh God, oh, it's just so awful. Really, the most vom-inducing, oh, film. Oh, so that's, that's your anti-tip. So, yes. <laughs> anti-tip, please don't go, don't go and see it. Don't go, don't go. And if okay. anyone tells you it's good, they're either lying or very, very... I've got no taste. I'm very stupid. I'm sorry. It's a dreadful oh, film. There's okay. no... 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for letting us know that. I'm sure some people will be pleased uh, to be Go, warned off. Yeah. Now you're you probably probably instead. people are going to go and see it just to see it if it's really that bad. Because it, <laughs> it that, really that is. can do that as well, couldn't they? Gas, thank you yeah, very much. Bad. Yeah. Okay. Thank Thanks you so much. <laughs> yeah. Look, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you, you've had no, your, your rant set. You were going to say it again, oh, weren't you? I was just going to say, The Room, you know, which is called the worst film ever, is brilliant to watch. You know, this is like the worst film ever, but with no redeeming fact, facts at all. Oh, okay. Anyway, all right, fair day. Well, <laughs> thank you very much my for, rant. Uh, thank you thank for you. watching this week. Uh, we'll see you uh, <laughs> not next week. Remember, there's going to be a show, uh, be a pre-recorded show next week, but the week after we'll be back. See you later. Bye-bye now.